0: Psalm 77, hear now God's word. This is the Psalm of Isaac. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord, he says. first 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. And when I meditate, the spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. So I consider the days of old years of long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever or never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? God, have you forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His perfection? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand in the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. And with you, with your arm, have redeemed your people, the children of Jacob, Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep, deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lighted up the world, and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. Well, this psalm was written by Asaph. And if you see on the bullet and insert that I've got for this psalm, there's a quote by a guy named Charles Spurgeon, the principal of Preachers. And what Spurgeon said, particularly about Asaph's psalm, he says this. He says, To understand Asaph, the writer of this psalm, it's necessary to have done business on great waters and weathered many Atlantic gales. What does he mean by that? He's basically saying when you are struggling with the depths of suffering and trial in your life, you can begin to understand Asaph's Psalm. There are twelve psalms that were written by this guy Asaph. This is one of my favorite ones that he wrote because he tells it like it is. He's honest. Asaph's honest about his struggles. He's honest about the place where nobody else would go and share the deep doubts or concerns or fears or questions that they're dealing with because of the trials that have come their way in life. Honest, uh, Asaph. He voices those fears. He voices those doubts. He voices those struggles. It's honesty, and that's why I love this. He's so honest about his state of mind and his doubts and his struggles, yet he still honors God and tries to honor God in the midst of the pain that he faces. And so, in many ways, Psalm 77 is a prayer. We saw last week in Psalm 3 that it was this amazing prayer that David prayed, asking God for deliverance from his enemies. And as you read prayers like this in the psalm, like Psalm 77, you feel like a spiritual midget, at least I do. And so we're going to be looking at this amazing prayer by Asaph, this honest prayer. Uh, Theologian Timothy George said this, he said, where does prayer begin? Where does prayer begin? And he says, prayer begins like all theology, genuine theology, prayer begins in pain, he says. So I think that's what we're going to see this morning is the pain that Asaph's dealing with in his life. Look at the verbs that Asaph uses. Just a cursory glance at Psalm 77. What does he say? He says, I cried out. I sought and I stretched out my hands. I sought the Lord. I groaned, he says, when I was troubled. I mused, I fought and I pondered. I was dazed and I couldn't speak all night long, he says. I was in deep distress. So for Asaph, and I think for us, many times when we pray, prayer begins often in pain, doesn't it? I want to break this psalm down into three sections. Morning. And the first thing we're going to see this morning is this pleading to God from the depths, There's four verses. So, what caused Asaph's pain? Let's just get a little context about what's going on with Asaph. Well, perhaps the reason Asaph cries out in the psalm is because of the, the national crisis or catastrophe that was going on with the children of Israel. If you remember, the Babylonian army came in and invaded Israel, they invaded Jerusalem, they had devastated the entire city, they destroyed the temple. And for an Israelite, for a Jew, that was such a serious, serious thing because the temple's where they met with God, right? I mean, to destroy the temple was to destroy the heart and the soul of Israel. And so their temple was destroyed, their their homes were destroyed, parents were killed, children were led into captivity. Some parents, uh, adults led into captivity. The nation was devastated. And so maybe the psalm is reflecting just as Asaph looks back on that experience and the sorrowful over that. Uh... Maybe this psalm experiences the, uh, or, or reflects the experience of the Israelites as they were going into exile. Imagine, you know, your family's wiped out. You're taken captive by these Babylonians. You basically are forced into slavery, and you're uh, being led out of your home, led out of what's all that's familiar to you. And then your captors are taunting you, making fun of you, saying, "Where's your God now? Did we come to your rescue? And we've come. Where's your God now?" Is your God blind that He can't see you anymore? Is, is He deaf that He won't hear you? You he can almost see mocking the mocking and saying these things. Is He paralyzed that He's not able to lift a finger to help you? Or maybe it was a little bit more personal. Asaph says, out of the depths I have cried to you. O Lord, hear my cry. What are the depths? What are the depths for you? What are the depths for you? And I, you know, I've been here a year now, while well, spring, and I've I've gotten to know you. I've you, you, It is just an inestimable privilege that you guys would let me into your life somewhere. And I've gotten to walk alongside of you and many of you in the struggles and the trials that you face. And there's a lot of depths of despair in our body, just like there is in anybody. There's struggles in marriages, right? There's struggles of raising children. Who ever said it was easy to raise kids? It's hard. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. We struggle, we struggle financially. We struggle with our bosses. We struggle with just life in general. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, are struggling with the depths here. This morning, these are the depths, you know. And sooner or later, we're all going to face the depths. And prayer is often born out of the depths. Well, there are these four movements or four stanzas in the psalm, and we've been dealing with this first stanza, the first six verses, where Asaph pleads to God from the depths. There are two images that he uses here for depths in the Psalm. They they recur again and again. One is found here when he says, I stretched out my untiring hands. You know, it's this image of a person who's drowning, where the floods have come over him, they're sweeping over his head, and he's barely able to keep his head above water. He's fighting, trying to keep above him, keep afloat. Uh, then the other image he gives us here is like this image of a pit, like a deep and miry, muddy cistern where criminals were even placed. They would dig a big hole that was Muddy, too too slick for anybody to get out and they would throw a criminal in that hole. Uh, it was like an in-ground prison, if you will. You remember the U2 song, uh, 40? Remember that? me on the road. That's what I think of Psalm 40 when he says, He lifted me out of the slimy pits, out of the mud and mire, and He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. That's the depths that Asaph is talking about here. The place where pain and prayer come together. Now, why is it that pain often drives us to prayer, where prayer is born? The Irish poet William Butler Yeats said it like this. He, said, he says, Love has pitched His mansion in the place of excrement. For nothing can be soul or whole that has not been rent, he said, on a asunder. And I love what he says here. He says, Sometimes God has to knock us down before He can pick us back up. Sometimes God has to knock us down before He can pick us back up. You know, the curse of sin is what? That we are so self-focused, that we're so self-infatuated, so preoccupied with ourselves. And so God in His grace often will bring us into places of pain so that we can begin to lift our eyes off of ourself and place our eyes and our heart back on the board. Well, The second thing we see that Asaph does here is he laments with these honest questions. We've seen that he pled to God from the depths and now he moves into this lament. That's why it's a lament psalm. He laments to God with this honest questioning. It appears that there are almost six questions, and you can kind of see them consecutively here in verses seven through ten, but I'm gonna really argue that there's not six questions, but there's seven questions. But just notice the questions, seven through ten, verse seven through ten. What does he say? God, will you reject me forever? Will you will you never show your favor again to me, God? Has your unfailing love vanished forever? Has your promise failed for all time? God, have you forgotten to be merciful to me? In your anger, Lord, are you withholding your compassion from me? Now the background of these questions comes from Exodus chapter 34. If you remember, God was preparing Israel for the promised land. And so God comes to Moses and He says, Moses, I'm going to speak through you. And here's what I want you to speak over your children, the Israelites. Over my children, the Israelites. So God begins to speak to Israel through Moses. Moses is the mouthpiece. You can find this in Exodus 34, 5, and 6. And here's what God says through Moses to the Israelites. He says, The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving w- wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished, but He punishes the children and their, the children and their children for the sin of their fathers, the third and fourth generation. So that was basically what Moses was proclaiming to is the Israel back then in Exodus 34 was like an Old Testament confession of faith, a creed that was the very heart of Israel's faith. And so if you hear that, then you come all the way forward to Psalm 77. Basically, Asaph's remembering that creed, that Old Testament creed that Moses proclaimed to Israel in Exodus 34. And he begins to, to take these six or seven questions and kind of question what God said in Exodus question God's characteristics who he is he's calling God to the mat if you will he's calling God to question he says God are you gonna be are you gonna reject us forever God is your faithfulness real you ever thought that you're struggling maybe now and you wonder God are you faithful (laughs) this life's hard he goes on and says God are you ever going to show me your favor again? Is your covenant love, you're a covenant-keeping God, but has your love vanished forever? These are powerful questions that Asaph asking, big questions. God, has your promise failed for all time? Have you forgotten to be merciful? Is there something wrong with your memory, God? Have you forgotten what you said? And then one by one, he begins to question the great attributes of this covenant God, this covenant-keeping God of Israel. It's almost like you see these questions in Psalm seventy-seven at first glance, and you go, "Man, why are these? Why did? Why did God allow these questions in the Bible? You know, aren't they? Aren't they inappropriate?" There are two answers to that. First of all, they're in the Bible because we don't serve an antiseptic God who's removed from us. They're in Scripture because we serve a God who's not remote or untouchable, but He's touchable. We can know him. We serve a God who came to the very depths of our human existence, right? According to the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus was tested in every conceivable way, yet without sin. That means that Jesus is no stranger to those kind of questions. You know, you see these seven questions here in Psalm 77. Think about the questions that Jesus had. When he was on the cross, what did he say? Really, you could sum up those seven questions in the one Jesus, the question that Jesus asked on the cross. God, my God, where are you? see the same question? Are you going to be to me? Where are you? Are you going to be faithful to me? And all he hears is what? He asks the questions and he hears silence on the cross. second reason these questions are in the Bible is because there's no pathway Easter Sunday that doesn't lead through Good Friday. Get that? there's no pathway to the good news of the resurrection of Easter that doesn't first go through Good Friday. Dr. Gardner Taylor, he was a pastor in New York City, and he told this story about himself as he just got out of seminary. He says that I was preaching, in this is back in the Depression area, back in the 20s and 30s. He says, I was preaching in Louisiana during the Depression, and electricity was just coming into that part of the country, and he said he was in this rural community in Louisiana in this African-American church in the you know, dilapidated old church building, it just had one light bulb hanging down from the center of the church that would illuminate the entire church building in the service. And so Dr. Taylor was preaching away in the middle of his sermon sermon, preaching his heart out, and all of a sudden, right in the middle of just this powerful point of his sermon, boom, the electricity went out. The place was pitch black and dark. And he didn't you know, being a young preacher, he didn't know what to do. Right? Like, oh, what do I do? He was stumbling around trying to figure out where where he was in his sermon and one of the elderly deacons in the back stood up and said, Preach on, preacher. We can see Jesus in the dark. Preach on, preacher. We can still see Jesus in the dark. And that's sometimes the only way we can see Him sometimes is in the dark. And God takes us through the pain and suffering. You see, the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that whether we see Jesus in the dark or not, He always sees us. He always knows us. I said there were seven questions. Now a lot of your modern translations that we read, like NIV, the New American Standard, or ESV, which we mainly use in our church, or New King James Version, a lot of these modern translations render verse 10 as an introduction to the rest of the psalm, to the, towards the you know, end of the psalm. The NIV, for instance, translates it, I will appeal, verse 10, I will appeal to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. But there's a a different way that you can read this in the Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament. And I think it's a better way. So verse 10 is not to be read as an introduction to the rest of the psalm, but as a conclusion to the first part of the psalm. And I think verse 10 really is the seventh question. I like how the New English translation puts it. It says, for verse 10, it says, Has God's right hand lost its grip? Has God's right hand lost its grip in your life? Does God's hand just lay there witherless powerless and He doesn't have you in His grip? New New American Bible says, Has the right hand of the Most High changed? If you read it that way, it's, it's as if Asaph's leave, leaving us hanging with this gaping and open question as God's right hand lost His grip. You know, maybe if, if that's the case, maybe, maybe God is just doing the best that He can with what He has. God can't really feel our pain. He can't really make that pain go away. Well, I think the reason Asaph closes out this part of the psalm with that, just that gaping, open question of God has you ripping things, so I think the reason he ends that section, this first section of the psalm, with that devastating question is to show that there is a shift taking place in his heart. Because the whole first part of the psalm, look at the pronouns. What is, he, what is the pronoun? I, I, I thinking about himself, thinking about the trials, the struggles that he's facing. But then you get, there's a shift. You get to verses 13, really 10 where the introduction of that shift, but then you get to verses 13 through 20 and notice the shift in the pronouns. You can just cursory look. I, I, I. See that in the first 12 verses? Look at the pronouns in verses 13 through 20. What do they change to? They change to, to referring to himself or who? Referring to God. The pronouns shift. He mentions, God's 21, he mentions God 21 times. Uh, verses 13 through 20, he never mentions himself again. And so what is he doing? He's beginning to remember God in his confession. So we've seen that Asaph cries to God from the depths, from the struggles in his life. Then he moves to lamenting to God with these honest questions. And then he shifts to remembering God in his confession. We see that in the last 10 verses 11 through 20. So his confession begins in verse 11. The key word he has here is remember. Write down in your notes. Remember. And this is really the turning point of the psalm because the psalm begins with this pain. It begins with this lament. It begins with these questions and despairs. And we reach this turning point. What does he say? I'm going to remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, God, I'm going to remember your miracles from long ago. I'm going to meditate on your words. I'm going to consider all of your mighty deeds. You know, for us as believers, that's the surest way that we can often reconnect when you're in the depths. You're remembering the gospel. Remembering that God has been good to you. Maybe you've heard the phrase before that you need to preach the gospel to yourself. And in essence, that's what you're doing. You're remembering the promises of God. You're remembering how God has carried you in your life. There's an old African-American spiritual that says, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Or where would I be? Isn't that that's, that's true? There's the truth of the Gospel in that. That God has been by my side from day one. And he's carried me throughout life. Where would we be if it hadn't been for the Lord who is on our side? I think that's what Asaph's talking about in this psalm, that I will remember. I'm going to meditate and think about who God is and what He's done in His faithfulness to me, and I'm going to let that sink into my soul. All right, ladies, I know you've probably seen this movie. Guys, you probably don't want to admit it if you have seen this movie, but y'all ever seen the movie The Notebook? <laughs> Men, raise your hand. <laughs> I did. My wife made me watch it, right? You ever saw that movie The Notebook? You know, it's a, it's a chick flick, right? And if you've seen the movie, it's about uh, the story of a guy, Noah, and his wife, Allie, right? And you know, most of the movies about their young puppy love together, right? And now and then, the movie kind of shifts from their beginning relationship early on in their marriage to the end of their life as they're getting older in their in their marriage showing them in their old age and if you haven't seen the movie here's a spoiler alert so sorry just you know you have to see the movie and know about it already but at the end you know towards the end of the movie it shows that Ali, the wife has developed Alzheimer's disease and she's in this nursing home and so Noah being the sweet husband that he is he doesn't have to be there but he insists on staying with her and if you remember in the movie, some years before, Allie had written about their love story, their, their story, their romance, their marriage. She'd written all of this, these things down in a journal, in a notebook, right? And so every day, Noah comes to the nursing home to visit Allie. They, they have lunch together. Allie is increasingly growing in her, her disease and not able to recognize you know, her husband very well. And what does Noah do? But he takes out the notebook that Allie's written, their story of their love, and as he reads this story, just this powerful picture, her, her eyes open every now and then and it's like Ali comes back to Noah just for a few minutes. And I think that's what Asaph's saying here. Is that when we come back to the promises of the Gospel, when we remember God and what He's done for us, it's like we come back to reality for a time. Okay, God, you're faithful. God, you're carrying me. Your footsteps are there with me. This is God's covenant love story. And oh yes, God, I am a part of that by Your grace and only by Your grace. And You've been faithful to me. You've been faithful throughout all the ages. And so that's what the notebook is. It's God's Word, right? When you come to God's Word when you're in the midst of the depths and the Lord, you feel like, God, You've rejected me. God, where are You? Are You listening to me? Have You lost Your grip on my life? We take the notebook out and we read, in the beginning He created me. In the beginning He loved me. We read that, for God so loved, put your name in it. For God so loved Stephen. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son. So when we read the promises of the gospel, when we come back to God's word, we remember the reality. We know who we are because we know who God is and his character and what he's done and that his unfailing love will never stop or perish. So Asaph ends this psalm talking about what it must have been like with moses and the israelites if they're going through the, the red sea and god stacked up the waters on either side and there's dry ground in the middle and the bottom of the red sea and he ends the psalm reflecting on what, what would it have been like to be with moses and the israelites he says the waters saw you O god the waters saw you and ride the very depths were convulsed what does he say the clouds poured down water the skies resounded with thunder your arrows flashed back and forth Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world and the earth trembled and quaked. And look at verse 19. This is so interesting. You wonder why I titled my sermon Your Footprints Were Unseen. Here's where I get it. Verse 19, Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Unseen footprints. That's so true, isn't it? We don't always immediately, obviously see how God is at work in our circumstances in life. You know, the, the despair, the ocean, the, the waves are swirling around us, sinking in the depths, and we're wondering, God, where are You? And His footprints are unseen, but He's there. And those footprints lead us through the sea just like they did with Moses and Israel. They lead us through the depths when we know that He goes before us, where He walks beside us, where He lives within us, and that He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. How does the psalm conclude? He says, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You know what that makes me think of, that word flock? It makes me think of Psalm 23, and I'm going to be pitching on Psalm 23 coming up pretty soon, but it makes me think of the words in Psalm 23 where David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. See, even, even in the midst, I almost wonder if David was even thinking about that Exodus story as God was delivering Israel from Egypt as they were going through the Red Sea, that even in the midst of these walls of ocean standing beside you, he's leading you in the quiet waters. He restores your soul. And then who is the shepherd that David talks about? Who is the shepherd? He's our chief shepherd, Jesus. Now listen to this. I want to close by reading 1 Peter 2. Listen to this. Asaph, God, where are you? God, what are you up to? Where are you leading me? I'm in the depths of despair. Lord, is your right hand, does it have me? Do you have me? Do you have my life? Listen to the similarities here in 1 Peter 2. Peter says this. He says, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you. Jesus suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. Peter goes on to say that Jesus, He committed no sin, no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled insults at Him, He didn't retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threat. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him, His Father, who judges justly. And then Peter goes on to say that He Himself, Christ, bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness for by His wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, it says. But now you have returned to the Shepherd, the overseer of your souls. So if you're in the depths this morning, return to the Shepherd. There are unseen footprints all around you. and They're, they're Jesus's. They're the Father's. You know when you go to the beach, we went to the beach just a few weeks ago. And always love it when you... um. You go down to the beach in the morning and you know, you try to beat the crowds, right? You get there and the high tide has come in and it's wiped away all the footprints, right? And I love when you go out uh, right after high tides come in and you start to make footprints you know. all of a sudden after an hour's time you've got a zillion footprints around and you can't distinguish whose footprints they are, right? Well, God, his footprints... Even though you might not always see him or be able to distinguish whose footprints they are, his footprints go unseen, but he's always there walking beside you. His right hand always upholding you, always loving you, always protecting you and supporting you and loving you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these honest questions that staff asked. And Lord, maybe, maybe today there are some of us, Lord, who are having doubts and we're fearful. And we're afraid to even admit that we might have doubts or fears or questions. What I hope this morning that as we've seen Asaph's psalm and this lament, maybe Asaph's able to verbalize some of those questions that we have, some of those fears, some of those doubts, some of the despair that we feel. I pray this morning that, Father, we would not be stuck in the questions. that the Lord, You would move us from ourself quickly back to You by Your Holy Spirit. We would quickly move from being focused on ourselves to turning our eyes. Would you turn our eyes back on Christ and understand Christ in us? On the cross. And remember that God, you are carrying us in this life, from the very beginning to the very end. We are yours if we trust trusted Christ. So, for those who are hurting this morning, I pray you would bless them. Would you encourage them? I pray that as they feel they're they're in the depths, they feel like there's no way out of the pit that they might feel like they're in. Lord, you would comfort them encourage them. That, Lord, you would draw them out of the pit of themselves and bring them back to the truth that they are far more loved than if could ever dare dream or imagine. Thank you for this precious spot, Lord. I pray your blessings over them now. I pray that can hear Let's sing our last